Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie Podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Well, the title of my message tonight is How to Start All Over Again. Let's start with a word of prayer. Now, Lord, help us to settle our hearts down and listen. Because the words we're going to look at are from Scripture. (laughs) They're true. Our response to what we will hear will impact us for time and eternity. So let us listen very carefully. And I pray that many people will come to believe in Jesus Christ tonight. For we ask it in His name. Amen. Years ago, when my son Christopher was a bit younger, he came home one day with a rat. He bought it down at a pet shop, had it on his shoulder. He hadn't bought a cage. He didn't have rat food. He didn't think about things like that. He just thought this rat was cool, brought it home. So we're like, oh, well, we got to get a cage for this rat. And so we got a cage. And then Christopher built this very cool little house for the rat. As I recall, it was out of balsa wood. Even put a name for the rat over the door of the house. I think we named him Nicodemus. And we thought it's so cute. You know, we'll go to bed tonight. The little rat will go to sleep in his little house. And so we went to bed, came back the next morning. The house was gone and the rat was just a little bit fatter. Apparently Nicodemus the rat ate his house. Now why is that? Because a rat is a rat. And they don't think like we do. And dogs don't eat Uh, think like us either. And this will come as a revelation to some people today. You know, they treat their pets like they're people. You have pet psychiatrists. You have pet hotels. You have dog yoga. Can you believe that? Uh, How would a dog even get into a lotus position? I don't know. You have these little outfits you can put your dog on, dog in. And now we have people pushing dogs around in strollers. People, this has to stop tonight. No dogs in strollers. Come on. I mean the dog just kicking back. Yeah, I'm living the good life. Why people push me around. It's insane. I read a recent survey that said if given the choice, 40% of Americans would save their pet over a foreign tourist. Okay, so let's get the picture. There's a house on fire. Your dog's in there. A tourist is in there. You're going to save the dog before the tourist, right? And then it even gets worse. 37% would save their dog's life over an American. They don't know. Now, if I knew you, I might save you before the dog. But since we haven't been introduced, sorry, you're going to have to die today. I have to save little Sparky, you know? Things are out of whack. We treat dogs as though they're people. But a dog is a dog. And a rat is a rat. And they're never going to really change. But here's the question. Do people change? Is it possible for you to change or for me to change? I think we like the idea of change in general, becoming different than we already are. Maybe you thought if you could move to a new place, you would change. I know that Southern California is the destination for many people from around the world. Maybe you thought if I moved to Southern California, all my problems would go away and your problems followed you here. 
Maybe you're single and you thought, if I were married, I know I would be happy because I'm not happy as a single person. Then you got married and you thought, well man, if I were single again, I would be happy. And then you said, no, I, I need to be married again. You got married again. Then you thought, well, if I just had kids, I know I would be happy. And then you had kids and you're thinking, if we could just get rid of these kids, I know I would be. You see, those changes didn't work. Or maybe you think a change in your appearance, a new wardrobe, or maybe some cosmetic surgery. Botox is very popular today. Problem is, is some people put so much Botox in their face, you don't even know what they're thinking anymore. You know, you look at them and say, are you surprised to see me? Or is that the Botox talking? You know, they're just like this the whole time. Like, they might say to you, I'm really mad right now, but I can't move my face. But trust me when I say I'm really mad. <laughs> see, that doesn't change you on the inside. So can you change? Here's the simple answer. Not really. When I say not really, I mean you can't change yourself any more than a drowning person can save themselves. The Bible says, can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good. You always do evil. You know, some people say, you know, the answer is within. The Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches the problem is within. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The Bible says the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Okay, you can't change yourself, but I have good news for you tonight. God can change you. He can make you a different person on the inside. He can. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is an altogether different kind of person. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything becomes fresh and new. That can happen for you tonight, just like it happened for some 2,500 people last night. I want to tell you the story of a really messed up woman. <laughs> she got caught having sex with some guy. The people who found her wanted her put to death. And they drug her and threw her down on the ground in front of Jesus. And what could have been the worst day of her life turned out to be the best and she was transformed. And I want to tell you the same could be true for you. Maybe this has been a tough night so far. Maybe things didn't go well getting here. But I'm telling you this can be the best night of your life if you listen very carefully to what I'm going to share with you. Because you tonight can change your eternal address from a place called hell to a much better place called heaven by your response to the message I'll share with you in just a moment. If you're messed up, God can intervene in your life. He did it for this girl and He can do it for you. So as I already said, here's this girl caught having sex with some guy. The religious leaders grab her, throw her down in front of Jesus. A crowd quickly gathers to watch this drama. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 8. They said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. 
Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, only until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's a great story, isn't it? So here's a woman who committed the sin of adultery. What is adultery? Heard about a little boy who was in Sunday school and he heard a talk from a Sunday school teacher on the Ten Commandments and the teacher focused in on the Seventh Commandment. A little guy didn't quite understand it so driving home with his dad he said, Dad, what does it mean when the Bible says thou shall not commit agriculture? He got a little confused. It was thou shall not commit adultery but he thought it was thou shall not commit agriculture. There's hardly a beat between the father's response to the boy's question. He said, son, that means you're not supposed to plow the other man's field. Little guy was happy with that answer. Pretty good. What is adultery? Adultery is being unfaithful to your wife or your husband. It's called extramarital sex. Then there's another word the Bible uses, fornication. That speaks of premarital sex. And by the way, both extramarital sex and premarital sex are classified as a sin before God. So much so they made God's top ten. In fact, the Bible tells us that God will surely judge those who are immoral or commit adultery. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You'll say, oh, Greg, please, give me a break. Sex doesn't hurt anyone. Really? Have you ever heard of something called AIDS? Did you know that AIDS is the leading killer of people globally between the ages of 25 to 44? 25% of all HIV infections are found in people under the age of 22. And then there are all these other sexually transmitted diseases like syphilis, herpes, gonorrhea. They've reached epidemic proportions. Sex doesn't hurt anyone. What about teenage pregnancies? Each year more than one million teens become pregnant. Many of these babies never make it to term because they're aborted. One out of every five abortions is performed on a woman under the age of 20 and four out of every 10 teenage pregnancies ends in abortion. You don't think that hurts someone? I'll tell you who it hurts. The unborn child made in the image of God. That's who it hurts. You don't want to go there. And I'll tell you what, it hurts the woman that gets the abortion. According to a 13-year study, the suicide rate among women who had abortions was six times higher than those who had given birth in the year prior. Now, I've talked to these girls who carry the guilt for a lifetime for taking the life of that unborn child. I'll say to you, if you end up getting pregnant outside of wedlock, outside of being married, Carry the child to term. Have the baby. If you don't want to raise that child, put it up for adoption. There's a lot of wonderful people I want to adopt babies today. Now listen, I'm not speaking from an ivory tower here. I was conceived out of wedlock. I was not planned. My mom could have got an abortion, but I'm glad she carried me to term. It's a strange thing to discover you were not planned. Maybe I wasn't planned by my mom, but I was planned by God, you see. 
Psalm 139, the psalmist says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. You know, we call children born out of wedlock illegitimate. Listen to me tonight. There are no illegitimate children. Everyone is legitimate in the eyes of God and everyone is loved by God. He loves you. And he has a plan for your life. Well, here's this girl caught in the act of immorality. Pharisees didn't care about her. They were trying to trap Jesus. So they throw her down on the ground. Now in a way Jesus was in sort of a dilemma. Because if he said stoner, that may have been an accurate thing to say, but that would have been so harsh and heartless. But if he said, oh, let her go, it's no big deal, then some would have thought, well, he's disregarding what the Mosaic Law says. So Jesus was sort of on the horns of a dilemma. And the way he handled this is quite interesting. You see, he used it as an opportunity to show God's forgiveness and God's mercy. Now, I don't know what kind of girl this was. She was probably a pretty loose girl. Maybe she had a reputation for being easy and sleazy, you know? And so here she was now facing the consequences of that. Reminds me of another woman that Jesus talked to who also was immoral. We call her the woman at the well. She had been married and divorced five times and was living with a guy that moment. And Jesus came to her. She was drawing water from the well. And he said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water I give, you'll never thirst again. See, he was using that well and her water pot as a metaphor for life. He was saying, in effect, girl, let me tell you something. You're never going to find satisfaction in relationships with men. You're never going to find fulfillment in sex. You could broaden that statement. You're never going to find the fulfillment you're seeking in accomplishments or in a career or in possessions or in anything else. If you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. See, this poor girl, the woman at the well, was always looking for that right guy and all of her princes turned into frogs. Heard about an old guy that was out fishing through his line in the water. He was waiting for a bite and he heard a voice say, Hey you, pick me up. Looked around, didn't see anyone who said that. Just went back to fishing, heard the voice again. Hey you, pick me up. The man looks down and there floating in the water was a little frog. And the frog said for the third time, Hey you, pick me up and kiss me and I'll turn into a beautiful woman and all your friends will envy you. So the old guy reached down and this is a true story by the way. So the old guy reached down, picked up the little frog and started to put it in his pocket. And the frog said, are you crazy? I just told you if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful woman. You'll be the envy of all of your friends. The old guy said, you know, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. So that woman at the well would fall in love with the guy. He'd get what he want from her, probably sex. And he'd dump her. Listen to this. Men give love to get sex. Women give sex to get love. If a guy says to you, if you love me, you'll have sex with me, that guy is a loser. Don't go any further. I like what the guys in King and Country were saying about that. 
but she was used and abused by men. And back to this woman here, caught in the act of adultery. She was probably feeling the same way. She wasn't happy. I heard about a Brooklyn couple that hosts a self-help radio program called The Pursuit of Happiness. On the show, this husband and wife team would offer callers advice on how to lead happier lives, encouraging them to think positively and trust their intuition. But apparently this couple, they were the ones who needed help because they both committed suicide. I guess they didn't find that happiness they were pursuing. Have you ever contemplated suicide? A Paris Jackson, the daughter of Michael Jackson, attempted suicide in June of this year. She swallowed an entire bottle of Motrin and also cut her wrist. Thankfully, she failed. Before her suicide attempt, Paris Jackson reached out to her 1.1 million Twitter followers with a series of desperate messages. And one of them quoted the Beatles song yesterday. And she wrote in her tweet, yesterday all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. And then she did that suicide attempt. Listen, Paris Jackson lost her earthly father. She needs to know there is a father in heaven who loves her. And you need to know there is a father in heaven who loves you too. Maybe your father walked out on you. He abandoned you. I never had a father. I never had a dad in my life for the most part. I read an interesting story in the newspaper about a rich heiress who was raised in the very lap of luxury. She hung out with other heiresses like Paris and Nikki Hilton. While other girls were playing with Ken and Barbie dolls, she was dressing up for real. She got her first Chanel bag at age 10. At 11 she was wearing snakeskin pumps and at 16 she had her own luxury car. At 18 she got breast implants. She once boasted, I got whatever I wanted. That is except a stable family and a loving father. See, all this rich heiress wanted was the love of her father. And she never got it. And so her life began to unravel. She got into drinking. She got into drugs. She was looking for purpose and meaning in her life. She loved dogs and thought of them as her babies, carrying them around in her 12,000 Hermes Birkin bag. She partied hard and drank and took drugs to ease her pain. She thought having a baby would satisfy her. So she went out and adopted the baby. One day she decided to take that baby to her father's home and introduce him to his grandchild. And she pulled in the driveway. She was met by her father's new girlfriend who turned her away. And the rich young heiress said, but this is my father's house. And the girlfriend said, no, you get out of here now. And the girlfriend called the police and they showed up. And at that time, the father pulled up into the driveway. He saw his daughter. He saw the granddaughter. And he turned them away and he said, I never want you to come back again. This poor girl just sunk deeper into despair. She would write love letters, send them to her dad, send voicemails. But there was no response in this part. In addition to her drinking and drug use, she had diabetes and needed to take her insulin. But instead she was eating junk food and swigging NyQuil in order to sleep one night. And she sent a tweet out to her followers and Facebook friends and what would be her last message. She said, sweet dreams everyone. I'm getting a new car. Any ideas? She fell asleep and she never woke up. The young heiress who had been both a, living a Cinderella fantasy 
and a living hell was pronounced dead on the scene. All she wanted was to be loved by her father. Maybe you feel that way, but I want you to know you have a father in heaven who will never turn you away from his house. There's always room for you. Jesus said, there are many rooms in my Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would tell you, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so you'll always be with me and where I am. So maybe this girl caught in the act of adultery didn't have a dad, I don't know. But here she is and she's before Jesus. But he was going to rescue her from her accusers and from her fate and from her sin. Do you need to be rescued? Phil Robertson will be with us tomorrow night. I mentioned that. I've been reading his book, appropriately titled, Happy, Happy, Happy. Because Phil says that all the time. Now we look at the Robertson family there on the A&E channel and we think, oh, this is just a fun family. They love each other. But you know, it wasn't always that way. Phil and his wife, who he calls Miss Kay, went through some very rough times. Phil was a hardcore drug user, drinker, partier, and he uh, almost had his marriage fall apart and his family with it. But uh, God intervened in Phil's life, and I'm going to talk to him about that tomorrow night, about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, so now Phil's a Christian, and along with his wife, he's raising his four sons in the way of the Lord. But their youngest son, Jeff, fell into getting drunk, using drugs, and he was going downhill fast. Jeff would show up at church with whiskey on his breath. It was just going from bad to worse. And so Willie, Jeff's older brother, decided to do a family intervention. They got all the Robertson family. And unbeknownst to Jeff, who came home one night, there was the entire family who confronted him about his lifestyle. He began to weep. And he confessed all of his sins before his family. And he said to his father, Dad, all I want to ask is, what took you so long to rescue me? That touched my heart. Maybe you feel that way. I need to be rescued. I need help. Listen, Jesus is here to rescue you tonight from your sin, from your addictions, from your past. He'll do that for you. He sure did for this girl. I love how the story unfolds. Here's all the accusers. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Jesus stoops down and writes something in the sand. Now what was he writing in the sand? Think he was doing like graffiti or something? No, I don't know. Squiggles, you know, tic-tac-toe, anybody? No. He wrote something very significant because the story tells us they left from the oldest to the youngest. Maybe he wrote down the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Maybe he looked up there at Jacob and nodded to him. Commandment number two, you shall have no graven images. Looked over there at Levi, looked, nodded to him. Maybe he got to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Kind of looked at three or four of them because he knew everything about them. I don't know. Maybe he wrote their secret sins down that they thought no one knew about. Some people have secret sins. But the Bible says God will judge the secret sins of men by Jesus Christ. And the story says they left from the oldest to the youngest. That's probably because the oldest guys had more to confess than the younger guys. 
So he cleared the room. Everyone's gone. What do you think this girl was thinking? Oh man, I am so dead right now. If these religious men could not stand before Jesus, how could I ever stand before her? But I love what happens now. Because she looks at him and he says, where are your accusers? She says, I, I, I have none, Lord. See, she had been so mistreated by men. She had been so used and abused by men. She was cynical. She was hard. But she never met a man like Jesus. He was holy and yet he was compassionate. And she could see it in his eyes. And right there on the spot she believed. She came predisposed to find something wrong with Jesus and ended up believing in him. Maybe that's how you came here tonight. Maybe your Christian friend drug you here. Maybe they bribed you with dinner. I don't know. But here you are. You're sitting there with your arms folded. Is this almost over? Is this bald guy ever going to shut up? But maybe something else has happened. Maybe as you're looking around you're thinking, these people are such losers. They're such idiots. They're such jerks. They're such, you know they're pretty happy for idiots though I have to admit. Yeah. See before I was a Christian I thought I was the coolest guy around. And I went to this little Bible study on the front lawn of my campus in Newport Beach Harbor High School because I saw a cute girl I wanted to check out. No one invited me to the meeting. I was kind of looking at that girl. I sat close enough where I could eavesdrop on their conversation but far enough away where no one would think I was you know, joining up with the Jesus freaks, right? And I was watching them sing their songs and, and I thought, these, these people, they're so crazy. It's just so lame. This is so. But the problem was there was a few of them that I knew from the old days. There was a few of them I used to party with and I knew how their life had changed. So it kind of messed up my theory a little bit. And then just for a moment I tried on a new thought. I thought, this couldn't be true, but what if the Christians are right? What if God is real and what if Jesus is alive and what if He's really come in their life and if that's true and I'm not a Christian what does that mean? Oh but that can't be true. It couldn't be true. But what if it is? And maybe that's been happening to you. You've been looking around you're thinking you know maybe this is true. Maybe this is right. Well I'm going to just tell you it is. And He is real and He is true and He'll prove it to you if you'll ask Him into your life tonight. I guarantee that. See it dawns on this girl that Jesus is God. How long does it take to become a believer? Let me ask you a question. How long does it take to snap your fingers? Can you snap your fingers? Let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Hey, that sounded cool. Let's do that one more time. Kind of a delay there. That's how long it takes to believe. Just like that. In a flash, in a moment, in an instant. 
Now I'm going to call people forward to make a profession of faith to follow Christ tonight. But you might already be believing before you've even left your seat. You're just saying, all of a sudden, I get this. This is true. This is real. This is what I've been searching for. That's the Holy Spirit working on your heart and making these things clear to you. That's an answer to prayer. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Now that's an interesting phrase because he used the word woman. That's not the normal word you would use for a girl like this. She had been called a lot of things. Hooker, whore, slut. Never woman. Because the term that Jesus uses is a term of respect. Sort of like saying ma'am, lady, woman. It's the same term he used to address his own mother as he hung on the cross. So he says to her, woman, lady, ma'am, where are your accusers? Why did he say that? She wasn't acting like a lady. No, but he didn't just see her for what she was. He saw her for what she would become. He knew her life was going to change. And God sees the same in you right now. What you can be, not what you are, not what you were. What you can be when you put your faith in Him. And He says, I say to you, go and sin no more. You say, well, that's kind of a tall order, isn't it, Greg? Yeah. He knew he, she would still sin. Uh, no one will ever be sin free. Oh, man, I wish I could be sin free. If you knew as much about me as I know about me, you would not sit there and listen to me preach to you tonight because I'm a sinner. But if I knew as much about you as you know about you, I wouldn't even be talking to you. Get it? I'm not making excuses for sin. I'm just saying we're all gonna mess up. We're all gonna fall short. And the Bible even says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yeah, we're gonna sin, but here's what Jesus is saying. Lady, I don't want you to go in this lifestyle anymore. I want you to make a break with the past. Go and sin no more. Make a change. You can do this. You know, sometimes people will say, you know what, God loves me just like I am. That's true. God does love you just like you are. But He doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants to change you. And He was going to change this woman as well. So the accusers are gone. Now Jesus promises four things to her and he makes these same four promises to you. Number one, her sins had been forgiven. Did you know that God can forgive your sins? How long does it take to be forgiven of your sins? About as long as it takes again to believe in Jesus or to snap your finger. It can happen immediately. Listen, our God has a big eraser and he wants to use it in your life tonight. He'll forgive you. But the Bible says we have to confess our sins. The Bible says we will confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word confess means to agree with God. See, a lot of times we rationalize sin. We justify it. We say, well, you know what? Everybody's doing it. It's not that bad. I'm still a good person. No, wait a second. To confess your sin means you agree with God. You know, God, you're right about that. Stop making excuses for it. It's so easy to blame others. Even gorillas blame others. 
I read a newspaper article about a gorilla named Coco, a sign, sign language speaking gorilla. Can you imagine that? A gorilla that did sign language. And Coco tore the sink off the wall. And when her keepers came in and demanded an explanation, she signed out, the cat did it. She had a cat. They gave a pet cat to Coco. She blamed the cat. You know cats really do deserve all the blame though. Don't you think really? Why even have a cat? Seriously. How many cat lovers do we have out there? You're a cat lover? Get out now. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm sorry. Just joking. How many dog lovers do we have? Dog lovers? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But listen, God can forgive you of your sin. Number two, he promised her sins could be forgotten. Forgotten. God not only forgives, he forgets. God says, I'll forgive your iniquity and I will no longer remember your sin. Listen, we should not choose to remember what God has chosen to forget. God takes your sin, he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and he posts a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Your sins can be forgiven and your sins can be forgotten tonight no matter what they are if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ like this woman did. Number three, he said, you don't have to fear the judgment day. Yes, there is a judgment day. The Bible says one day everyone who does not believe will stand before God. But Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. So she didn't have to fear that. It's, it's so great to know. When you put your faith in Jesus and you're forgiven, you don't have to be afraid of the judgment day because God already put his judgment on Jesus who died in your place on the cross 2,000 years ago. Christ paid the price for your sin so you will not be held responsible for it. That's what he did for this woman. That's what he'll do for you. Number four and lastly, she had a new power to face her problems. New power. So he says, go and sin no more. You can be a different person. I heard about a painter that was not getting much business so he went down to a local church and said, pastor, can I paint the church? I'll give you a killer deal. And the pastor agreed and so this painter thought this pastor will never know and he started pouring paint thinner in the paint. So he's putting a very thin coat on the church. He was almost done. He was gonna overcharge them. He was just painting the top of the steeple. He was up there in his scaffolding putting the final strokes on and a bolt of lightning hit him and the scaffolding came loose and he heard a voice from heaven saying, repent and thin no more. That's just a joke. It's a joke. Not a very funny joke. Now let's get back to that opening question and close. Can a person really change? No, not by themselves. But God can change you and he can do it tonight just like that. Maybe you've been caught in your sin. This woman was busted. Maybe you've been busted lately. Maybe you were found out. Maybe you got pregnant. Maybe you got a DUI. Maybe you were caught cheating. You were caught stealing. You were caught doing something wrong. Many you were just busted. Well, this woman was busted, but she turned to God. Sometimes those things can happen in our life to get a, our attention. Maybe something has happened that's been a little bit of a wake-up call. 
For you, you had a close brush with death and it got you thinking about your own mortality. It got you thinking about the meaning of your life. That's a good thing. You've come to the right place. Now you can believe in the same Jesus this woman believed in and you can be forgiven of all of your sin. You say, well, Greg, okay, what do I need to do? How can I have this change in my life? How can I know that I'll go to heaven when I die? Listen, number one, you need to admit you're a sinner. I already said that. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, well, Greg, give me a break. I mean, some people are really sinful. I haven't sinned as much as some people have. That may be true. But listen to this. God does not grade on the curve. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. The Bible says if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Every one of us have sinned. So let's stop excusing it or blaming it on others. Number two, you need to realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sin. The Bible says God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ died for you because He loves you, and no one has ever loved you like Jesus loves you. You say, well, that's a nice thing. Well, it's not enough to know that Jesus died for you. You need to respond to it. You need to believe in Him. Number three, you need to repent of your sin. What does that mean? The word repent means to change your direction. Turn around in life. The Bible says God has commanded people everywhere to repent. Stop rationalizing your sin. Turn from it and be forgiven. And then you need to receive Jesus Christ into your life. See, being a Christian it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. It's having Christ live in you so you'll never be alone again. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Jesus wants to come into your life right now and be your Savior and be your Lord and be your friend. But you have to ask Him in. He will not force His way into your life. Now listen, if someone came over to your home and was knocking at your door and you didn't answer it, do you think after a while they would sort of get the hint? To make it even more awkward, let's say you have sort of a glass pane in your door so they can see you and you can see them. So they're knocking, they see you, hey, you're just like going about your business. Uh, you don't wave back. You just, let's just ignore him. Maybe he'll go away. Do you think after a while that person would get the hint and leave? I think they would. See, really, by not opening the door, in effect, you're leaving it closed in their face. It's really rude. So here's Jesus. He's knocking. You say, well, you'll just keep knocking. I'll get around to Jesus. I'll believe in God later in life when I'm really old like 40 or something. But I want to have fun first. But here's the problem. Every time you hear the gospel like you've heard it tonight and you say no to it, your heart gets a little bit harder. It gets a little more calloused. The Bible says, he who is often reproved hardens his heart and he will be cut off and that without remedy. That means every time you don't respond appropriately, you can be a little more removed, a little more calloused. 
Harden not your heart. If you can hear His voice, the Bible says, it's time to open the door. It's time for you to say, all right, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. But I believe in you. Will you do that tonight? Then you must do it publicly. 2,500 people came down in this field last night and make it a public stand for Jesus Christ. Why do I call you publicly? Because it's a way of saying, I mean business. See, I, I've been married almost 40 years now. I've been married 39 years. So my wife is here tonight. My wife doesn't look any different than she did on the day I married her. I looked like one of the brothers from Duck Dynasty when we got married. I had hair down to here. I had a big long beard. I wore the ugliest tuxedo you've ever seen in your life. But thank God we've made it all these years. But we had a public ceremony. I stated my vows publicly. I wanted everyone to know I was marrying Kathy. I'm going to ask you to make a public stand to follow Jesus Christ. You're saying to everyone here, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. Because I mean it. I'm going to call you publicly. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my Father and the angels in heaven. But if you deny me before people, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels. That's why I'm going to ask you in just a moment, if you want Christ to come into your life, to get up out of your seat and walk down and stand behind this platform. And I'll lead you in a prayer. One last thing. You need to do it now. You need to do it now. Don't say, well, I'll come back tomorrow night and do it. Well, that's fine. But what if there's not a tomorrow night for you? What if this were your last opportunity to come to Jesus? Somebody said in a post on our uh, Facebook page, the reason they came was when they heard me say, give up your excuses and follow Jesus tonight. That's all we hide behind, our excuses. They're not reasons, they're excuses. Let go of your excuses. Do it now. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Tonight is your night to believe in Jesus and have your life changed for time and eternity. You got to do it. You won't regret it. So we're going to pray and I'm going to ask you to make a decision. And in the next few moments you're going to make a decision either for or against Jesus Christ. Going back to that day when I asked the Lord to come into my life and my high school campus, there was one statement that really resonated with me. The guy who was speaking said, Jesus said, you're for me or against me. I looked around at those crazy Christians and I thought, well, they're definitely for him. I'm not one of them. Does that mean I'm against Jesus? Hey, I didn't want to be against Jesus. So I took a little step of faith. There was a lot of questions I had. There were problems I had. But I took that little step of faith and I said, all right, God, here I am. And He came into my life and He changed me and He's changing me and He'll do the same for you. But to not say yes is to say no. So say yes tonight. So let's all bow our heads and let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here 
every person watching, every person listening. I pray, Lord, that they'll see their need for Jesus Christ and come to you now and be forgiven of all of their sin. We pray that your Holy Spirit will move powerfully now in every heart. Help them to come to you, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey everybody, this is Greg Laurie, and you've just been listening to a classic message from Harvest Ministries. This podcast is supported by Harvest Partners. To learn more and to find out how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.